the Center for the Study and Teaching of Writing, this is Writer's Talk. I'm Erin Riley Sanders. One of the literary world's best children's authors, Sharon Creech, has just come out with a new book, The Great Unexpected. Previously, Creech has won prestigious awards on both sides of the Atlantic Ocean for her novels, including the Newbery Medal for Walk Two Moons as the Best American Book for Children in 1995 and the Carnegie Medal for Ruby Holler as the Best British Children's Book in 2002. The Wanderer, Love That Dog, and Bloomability have also been recognized with honors. Creech was drawn into storytelling through college courses on literature and writing, and later taught high school English and writing before trying her own hand at books. She now mainly writes for upper elementary and middle school audiences. Your newest novel for children ages 8 to 12, The Great Unexpected, just came out. Tell me about it and how it fits into your library of other notable books. Well, let's see. That's a good question. Um, The Great Unexpected takes place in two parallel towns, and there's Uh, The main story involves two spirited orphan girls, Naomi and Lizzie. They live in the small town of Blackbird Tree in America. And for them, the unexpected has never been good. It's always bad. And their story alternates with a parallel one of a cranky old lady who lives in Rook's Orchard, Ireland. And she's hatching a plan that seems sort of mysterious plan. And connecting the two stories is this charming boy named Finn, who in the first chapter falls out of a tree at the feet of Naomi and Lizzie, and nothing is ever the same after that. It's sort of the stranger comes to town kind of convention. And there are crows and rooks and dogs, and there's a storm and odd people, crazy Cora, witch wiggins, one-armed Farley. And parallels between the two stories gradually emerge and connect. They lead to a great and unexpected journey. So finally, for these girls, the unexpected turns out to be something great, not bad. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. So, good. Oh, good. I'm glad. So you asked mm-hmm. how it fits in with the uh, rest of my books. I think it's it fits in. I, I often have either a stranger comes to town or a character goes on a journey, as do many books. But my books are often peopled by um, quirky characters, small towns and uh, connections between people and coincidences and things that lead us from one person to another, you know, odd things that connect us. Mm -hmm. And sort of old people helping young people, young people helping old people or learning from each other, that kind of thing. That's Mm -hmm. all in there, too. So it's very much in that vein. Which of your previous books do you think The Great Unexpected is most like? Or if it doesn't strongly resonate with just one book, what does it share with some of your previous novels? It shares, again, it shares that sort of young people and old people, this kind of um, symbiosis between them and Mm -hmm. the small towns and the quirky characters. So I think it probably, in that respect, most resembles perhaps Ruby Holler or Walk Two Moons. um, And the parallel stories, that format uh, is something I first worked with with The Wanderer, where it was two different in that book, it was two different people alternating, telling the story. In this one, it's um, uh, narrator, first first person Naomi narrates one story, and then the other story is a third person narration. So it's it's sort of, I was interested in looking at two different kinds of viewpoints, parallel how something could be going on across the ocean and here in America, but very much affecting each other without anybody on either side knowing it. So Mm -hmm. 
was fun to do that. <laughs> yeah. I've noticed that several of your books do include elderly characters, some who even die, maybe more than the average children's book. How do you think that theme either reflects you or your attitude towards intergenerational relationships? Well, I think it's very important. Um, I I have grandchildren now. Um, they're young grandchildren, but... Mm-hmm. I see very much, it's made me sort of reflect on my own grandparents and their influence on me. And watching so many children today seem to be, there are many children being raised by their grandparents or live mm. with their grandparents. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like, I like to, I suppose, support that notion that older people have something to give, <laughs> something, they have some wisdom to share that, that oftentimes parents as well-meaning as they might be, you know, they're, they're tired, you know, they're in the Mm -hmm. midst of it. They have the kids all the time, every day, and they can't, they don't have the perspective. They don't have the distance perhaps to see, you know, what the child needs that maybe someone else can give them. And I think that's even my own daughter has said, you know, she'll send the kids down here. We just moved. We're in the process of moving to Maine to be near our grandchildren. Oh, lovely. So in this past week, our daughter has, you know, let the kids walk down to our house three blocks away. And, you know, she said, this is just the most wonderful thing for them. You know, they are so excited mm-hmm. to see you. It gives me a break. <laughs> so so you know, it's that kind of thing, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I love seeing those uh, relationships in some of children's literature. Mm. On your website, SharonCreech.com, you often list more about your inspiration for a book than the actual plot summary, offering some great perspectives into you as an author and the process of writing. What information will you be adding about The Great Unexpected? Hmm. Well, I think, you know, I have I wrote the information for the website several months ago, so I'm, and I haven't really reviewed it, and I can't quite remember. But I think that what I offered was... Um, a couple of things. One, in the very beginning of the book, there's like a little preface piece with two conversations between children and between a father and a son and a mother and a daughter. And those were actual conversations. I overheard my daughter and son-in-law with, with my grandchildren. And one was about, you know, brushing your teeth. You know, did you brush your teeth? Yes. Really? Yes. Really? Yes. Tell the truth. What's truth? You know, it's like that grandson. He was just like thought it was a game, you know. And then he, mm-hmm. like, well, what do you mean? What's the truth? What What does truth mean? And and then with my uh, granddaughter, she sort of one day went in the book. It says dolphin, but what she really wanted to be was a pteranodon. And oh, you know, excellent! So she kept insisting that she was going to wake up. She was about four at the time, and she was going to wake up as a pteranodon. And my daughter let her sort of spin that out for a couple hours. And finally, she said, you know, you know, you're not really going to wake up as a pteranodon. You do know that, don't you? And my granddaughter was insistent. Of course I will, I, because I wish it. I wish it with all my might. And she had read that in a story somewhere. And so when my daughter finally prevailed upon her that she was not going to actually wake up as a pteranodon, my granddaughter was inconsolable. You know, it was as if her mother had punctured her dream, you know, mm-hmm. but, and so it was, it's that whole notion of what is real, what is not, what is true, what is not, that um, children, what I, just one thing I love about children, it's all sort of swirling in their head together. Mm-hmm. They don't separate, you know, unless we make them separate, and, and we, 
all learn sooner or later that we sort of need, in order to be out in the world, we need to know truth from untruth and reality from fantasy. But with children, it's all in there together, and they really have to stop and learn which is which. But I love, I love interacting with children before they make that strong distinction, because it seems that once they do make that strong distinction, maybe it's fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, whatever it is, uh, mm-hmm. they lose something. Mm-hmm. They lose something really wonderful. <laughs> so... I don't know. I don't even remember what your original question was, but I hope I answered it. You did. We were talking a little bit about the, the inspiration for the book. But oh, I wanted, right, right. I wanted to pick up on something that you were talking about, this sort of sense of reality, especially in The Great Unexpected. Um, I had read the book and was talking about it with a colleague, and we were like, well, this isn't quite contemporary realistic fiction. It certainly talks about, you know, contemporary realistic themes and, you know, needs for children. But it also has a sense of, I don't, it's not quite magical realism. It's almost sort of like improbable realism to it. Oh, I like that term very much. Improbable realism. I'm writing that down. I like that term. Um, Because, you know, I just read this morning a review, a really intelligent review of the book that called it magical realism and it's not a term that I would have ascribed to it mm-hmm. um, but either of those terms magical realism or improbable realism I think I think applies to a point and I suppose I like to make my own form so mm-hmm. I'm not conforming you know particularly to well what's the normal contemporary story or what is magical realism I'm not trying to fit into any one of those things. I'm just writing the story that seems to want to be told the way it wants to be told. And then I later let the publisher worry about <laughs> what to call it. Mm-hmm. So uh, for me, that has always worked well anyway. So I, but again, it goes back to that, the point I was making about, you know, reality and fantasy kind of merging in a young person's mind in that, that was sort of what I wanted to exploit in writing the story was that in the story itself, you, you alternate between those two worlds. You alternate between something that seems very realistic and then this other thing, you know, this, this boy that appears out of nowhere and who is he and is he real or not? And, you know, so I wanted to, I suppose, develop that sense of, the way reality merges with fantasy mm-hmm. in our brains, I wanted to explore how that could be told in a story that way. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I was successful or not, but I hope it worked. <laughs> <laughs> well, I certainly love how it makes it difficult for adults to try to classify. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, you know, critics really don't like that. They like to be able to classify, mm-hmm. and they get a little perturbed, I think, when they can't, so... I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) You've written in several very distinct forms, including the more traditional novel, novels written as journals, and even novels written in verse. How do you pick the perfect form for a book, and how does your process change from writing one form to writing another? Hmm. Um, I think the form, well, I know the form, just appears at the same time that the story Mm. seems to be Mm -hmm. coming together in my mind. And I don't know much when I begin. Usually it's a couple of different things are merging. Like, for instance, with this story, this 
<clears throat> wanting to explore um, this fantasy and reality thing and truth and untruth, but also, you know, wanting to explore the way children perceive the unexpected. You know, I, I had this sense that, um, this is veering off the topic a little bit, but I had this sense that post 9-11, not only are we adults more fearful of the unexpected, but we're sort of passing mm-hmm. on that shawl to our children. And I, I hate it that they have to be so fearful of, of things unexpected. And um, so I kind of wanted to see if I could make the unexpected great. Well, so those things come together, and when they come together like that, usually I see a, a character and I see a place. So first I saw, you know, a young girl who became Naomi, mm-hmm. and she was in this small town, and she was climbing a tree. And so it just came out as a, a novel in that form. When I wrote um, Love That Dog, it I just sat down at the, the uh, computer one day, and I had looked at a poem of Walter Dean Myers that was on my bulletin board mm-hmm. that one that goes, Love That Boy, Like yeah. a Rabbit Loves to Run. It's a beautiful poem. And I just, the voice of Jack, this young boy who did not like poetry, just came out. And so it came out in verse form, perhaps because it was a poem that inspired it. And then the journal form, um, I found that the very first book I wrote for young people was called Absolutely Normal Chaos, and that's written in journal form. And I found that it was just something instinctive because I knew I was going to sit down and write about a page a day. That's about all I had time for at the time. My children were at that point in high school. I was the wife of a headmaster. I was teaching full time. And so I, I thought, I'll keep track of the days and it'll be this young girl. And so just let me know each day what's happening. And I had no sense of the story ahead, just like I didn't with either of the others with the first one or anything mm-hmm. written in novels. And so it's each day going ahead. And, and the journal form particularly, uh, that seems very natural for me mm-hmm. because of, of the way I tend to write two to three pages at a time, which is about what you would spend on you know, a day's events. Mm-hmm. Although I like being able to move between do a novel or a, a prose novel and then do a verse novel and switch the forms. I would think I would get maybe bored or stale if I kept with one form all the time. And there's always a new challenge too when you switch forms. You know, mm-hmm. Can I do this differently now? Can I, you know, add something to it to make it more challenging? Mm-hmm. That's part of the appeal for me. I think of writing a book every year or every two years is um, I there has to be something new <laughs> in it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. I wouldn't. I don't think I could ever do a series or, a, you know, something where each book was too much like the one before because it would be hard to put myself sitting down in front of the computer every day when the sun was shining outside, you know. Mm-hmm. So it keeps me going. Several of your books include split perspectives, such as in The Wanderer, where Sophie tells most of the story in extended journal entries, but is interspersed with her cousin Cody's briefer log entries, or Walk Two Moons, where Salamanca's narrative is contrasted with the stories she tells about her friend Phoebe. 
The Great Unexpected alternates between the protagonist, Naomi, and Sybil, a mysterious woman in across-the-ocean Ireland. On the other hand, one of the greatest strengths of Love That Dog, often noted by my students, is that it only shows Jack's perspective and leaves out the teacher's. How do you balance these split perspectives and use them to tell different parts of the story? So you teach? Yes. Introduction to Children's Literature. (laughs) Wonderful. I like the way you sort of stage that question. Um, It's much, much like an actor taking on a role in that if I'm telling the part from, say, Sophie's point of view, I'm in Sophie's head and I'm telling her part of the story. And then the next, then I want to reflect on that or give the different view, well, how did Cody see it? He's a much different kind of kid. He's very, you know, sort of boy, forthright, you know, very action-oriented. And he would see things differently, but also he would be able to give the reader information that Sophie would not. And so you learn something about Sophie from Cody, and you Mm -hmm. learn something about Cody from Sophie. And so that, to me, that's how the split kind of balances, I think. Same thing with Sal and with Phoebe. Those those two stories kind of counterpoint each other, much as in The Great Unexpected, the two stories counterpoint. So in one story, something might be happening, and in the other story, maybe something similar or maybe something that seems like a different take on the same thing. And so you get, the, instead of just a single perspective, you get this rounded perspective. Oh, mm-hmm. well, maybe it's, it's that way or, oh, and... Um, I love that. I love being able to explore that. I suppose if I were a movie director, I would, you know, I don't know how I would do it if I were a movie director, actually, but it would be interesting to, because normally with a movie, you're getting one point of view Mm -hmm. in a normal movie, maybe not in an experimental movie. But anyway, um, in Love That Dog, what was so wonderful about how the way that book came out was I thought, you know, I'm... I just want to be in this boy's head. I don't want to hear from the teacher. I just want, Mm. I want to somehow Mm -hmm. be able for him to tell a story without bringing the teacher on the page. And it ended up that I was able to do that. And I think that's one of the things so many people have commented on. It's like, they feel like they get a very clear picture of that teacher, but she never appears in the book. Mm -hmm. know about her mainly because you see his increasing trust and you see him react to things that she has said and to the poems that she has offered him. So in The Great Unexpected, I think it's very much um, you you begin to uh, piece together the mystery because you, the reader, know more than either one of these Mm -hmm. separate characters know. And so you can piece together the mystery uh, hopefully that's interesting to the readers. It was interesting to me anyway. Oh, it's they're all definitely interesting. <laughs> it was so, you know, difficult to tie everything together. In the end, it was like one thread would just start unraveling. And no, come back here. <laughs> tie it all in a knot before it gets loose. Mm-hmm. But fun, too. Well, it, it definitely worked. It certainly helped to draw out that sense of mystery um, that I've seen in several of your books, sort of how, how things come together. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Sharon Creech. Well, thank you for those great questions. That made me think this morning. We'll be right up. <laughs> well, excellent. It was great to talk to you. Thank you very much. From The Ohio State University, this is Aaron Riley Sanders for Writer's Talk. <laughs>